Welcome to What's Up in Jeju, where I visit places around the island and talk about what's happening with Hashtag Daily K's host, Peter Bint. So today's episode is for all of you history and culture buffs out there, uh, because it's been a while, actually, since we've covered history and culture here on What's Up in Jeju. So we'll be moving back mm. into the traditions of Jeju. Um, yay, yay, because uh, I love doing that. Yay. And, yeah. And we're going to mm. travel back in time a little bit, too. So this time Ooh. to cover something uh, very much tangible and actually from what I found is very unique. I didn't realize how unique it was. Um, it's a cultural Ooh. artifact that is known as Jeju mm-hmm. Ongi. Ongi. Mm-hmm. Ongi. I've heard that. It sounds familiar, but I'm not entirely sure what it is. Right. So the word Ongi at its very basic definition is earthenware pottery. So Ongi is something you'll find everywhere and anywhere in Korea. It's very um, uh, mm. culture and tradition oriented. It's basically tableware and storage containers made from clay. All of these stuff, all of that stuff is called Ongi. But this word is not specific to Jeju. It refers to any type of traditional pottery made from clay, right? But I wanted uh-huh. to find out what was so special about Jeju Ongi because when we're talking about Ongi that originates here, it's not just called Ongi. There's, it's always called Jeju Ongi, right? And so to find mm. out more, I visited the Jeju Ceramic Center in Korean. It's called Jeju Doyechon. And I spoke to the founder, owner, and master potter of the Ceramic Center, Mr. Kang Chang-on. Oh, and so we've got an image of this place. Is mm-hmm. this what it looks like? Yeah, that's the outside in the horizon there, the building in the back. That's where the stone kiln is. Uh, this is oh. like all the pottery that's discarded and that's kind of unusable. Unusable. They just laid out on the field. This isn't even half of it. There's it so a, much more. It looks... A little bit higgledy-piggledy, but there is an attraction to it, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah, that's kind of the beauty of it. You go in and it's not uh, super uh, organized um, or pretty, Mm -hmm. like in the sense of aesthetics, but (laughs) in its kind of like messiness, it's really beautiful. Oh, and I'm looking at these pots and they look like some of the hangari that you will see, you know, on the mainland, maybe outside traditional restaurants where you store the changs, maybe the penjang or the kwanjang. But there's something unique about Jeju Ongi. Right. So there are several ways to differentiate Jeju Ongi from the rest. And if you don't have a practiced eye, it'll just all look the same. Like to me, until I went and spoke to him, it just it just all looked like hangari, right? With just different size openings yeah. or, you know, shapes. But there are, mm. are a few ways to differentiate. The first one is the kiln. So the stone kiln. From what I'm told, the stone kilns on the mainland are made from like mud bricks. Uh, but the kiln here yeah. in Jeju, they're all made from the volcanic rock because we have so much of it. <laughs> uh, yeah. There you go. You got to make use of it. That's interesting. Yeah. So just from the material, just by the material of the kiln, it creates like a different type of flame and temperature. Uh, The second is the fuel. So traditionally on the mainland, timber is used. It's just wooden logs, right? But here, Mm -hmm. the wooden logs are used to kind of initiate the flame. Um, But then once it gets going, they use bundles of branches with leaves still attached to them, uh, which 
are many times oh. just still green, right? So they just grab all these branches from the Kojawai forest. They bundle it up together. It's called uh-huh. sampi. It has a name. And then they throw that in there. Apparently, it's supposed to be really good for uh, like higher temperature. I don't know how the science works, but that's what I'm told. Yeah, because when, you know, you're making a, a fire for Boy Scouts or something, you'd be told, don't put anything green in there because that's not going to burn very well. Mm. That seems a bit counterintuitive, but yeah. unique, I suppose. So we got a video lined up. What's Mr. Kang going to talk about? Yeah, so in this video, he's talking about the last, uh, like, differentiating factor or characteristic of Jeju Ongi. He mentions the biggest difference between Jeju Ongi and the rest of Korea. And it seemed to be the one Mr. Kang was most proud of, too. So uh, I'm going to let him do the talking first. Oh, he's very passionate about that big difference. Yes. I'm not sure exactly what he was saying they're not using. So can you explain that? So the word that he was using in Korean is the word glaze. So that's the standout oh. characteristic. Yeah, ancient ongi, like way in the past on the mainland, were are naturally matte and dull in color, right? Um, and the pots mm. were permeable. So later on, they added glaze to make it liquid proof. And that's what gives it that shine that we commonly see on like hangari these days. But uh-huh. the difference, he was saying, with Jeju Ongi and mainland Ongi is that Jeju Ongi is naturally glossy, so there's no need to put any additives on top of it, like glaze, because of the role of oh. the volcanic ash. So the volcanic ash in the baking process, it coats the Ongi, and that's what um, creates that gla- the glaze-like quality. Wow, so we're taking a look at it here. Mm -hmm. It does look, yeah, like it's got some kind of glaze, but that's just naturally in it. Yes, it's naturally shiny um, and it glows kind of like that. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. looks beautiful, doesn't it as well? Mm -hmm. This piece in particular is rather attractive. Mm -hmm. So there are many different types of ongi from Oh Jeju. my gosh, yes. There are over 200 types of traditional Jeju ongi, which means there are over 200 words for all of these different types of Jeju <laughs> ongi, according to their function, right? Wow. So it got me thinking. I was really? like, do we have any words now? Uh, like that many words for a single thing? And I thought of something. I did. <sighs> I thought of shoes. We have so many words for shoes, oh, <laughs> right? Like That's true. Yeah, like sneakers, running shoes, tennis shoes, high tops, low tops, and then heels. Oh, my gosh, there's a, that's a whole nother thing. So <laughs> 200 words for plates and pots and tableware. Um, it just really shows you how important these things were to Jeju people and how vital it was to their survival. Yeah, using them every day, right, as mm-hmm. tableware, but also 
as I remember you saying the container had a special yes. word for like water. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. So of the 200 types of ongi, most of them are habok. That's what we talked about when we went to the Natural Folklore Museum. Habok are jugs mm. for carrying liquids. The most common is the mul habok, the jug for carrying water. But remember, I don't know if you guys recall, but it had a different name and like a different shape and look depending on who was doing the carrying. So if it was mom or dad or child, it all had different names. So so I don't know, there's still like artisans out there in Jeju making Jeju Ongi in a big way? Yes, yes. So he, Mr. Kang, told me that he founded the Ceramic Center to kind of record and uh, record everything and put it into practice because what ended up happening was the demand for Jeju Ongi dropped drastically with modernization. You know, we have materials like plastic mm. that was introduced and yeah. that's the obvious choice for consumers is cheap and light and readily available. Mm. It's a no-brainer. But yeah. as that happened, um, there was really no need to make any more and eventually entering into the ni- 90s, 1990s, the master artisans of Jeju Ongi were mostly out of work. They were really old and many of them were dying from old age. Um, it was about this time mm. when a small community of potters here in Jeju began the process of creating creating a written record of the entire process. Um, and that's what Mr. King was, uh, he was very interested in, but also very passionate about. He con- considered it his life's work to do so. He actually wrote several books on the subject as well, one of which is a photo journal, uh, which he very kindly gifted to me. I was so honored. Uh, if you're watching the show, Aww. I'll just put it up real quick. Can, can you all see that? That's the wow. book. Yeah. In English. So the title is in English, but it's a photo journal. So if you're looking through it, it ah. it's all these uh, big photos wow. of the entire process. It's really cool. And at the end, there's like a short little thing that he writes, um, both in English and in Korean. Yeah, it's really cool. That's great for mm-hmm. international people as well as Koreans documenting everything. Yes, yes. He said he doesn't have very many copies left. Um, and it's not in print anymore. So I was like, oh, <laughs> 그래도 돼요? <laughs> you know, I felt so That's honored. Lovely. Yeah. But he was telling me how, the story of how two masters took him on as a disciple. Um, and they passed down all of their knowledge to him. They're both deceased now, but he still honors their memory in his craft. And the center is actually located right on the site of where one of his master stone kiln is. And I wanted to see where all the action happened for myself. So Mr. Kang very kindly gave me a tour of the warehouse, that warehouse that you saw in the first picture all the way in the back. That's where the stone kiln is. Oh, let's check it out. Oh,这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个这个
Wow, that's amazing. In the warehouse, they've yeah. got these stone kilns that yeah. look like they might be from hundreds of years ago, almost, in, the, in their design and stuff. But yes. I guess it's to protect them from the elements and whatnot. So the first thing you notice when you first walk in is a massive stone mound. And you're looking at the picture of it. That's a that's where they put in the pottery, the ungi, to bake. The kiln. Um, mm. And Mr. King was explaining to me that this particular kiln belonged to his former master, but it's no longer in use because he told me that the size of it was to accommodate for very large ungi. And uh, because mm. of its size, it can take up to 10 men to operate it. But since there is no need to make ungi oh. of that size anymore, they built a smaller one right next to it. Um, and that one only requires about three to four men, he says. That's still quite labor intensive mm-hmm. to operate a kiln, right? But ju- doing it the traditional way. And we didn't really see it in the video, but there was another smaller kiln behind the one that was in the foreground, right? Right. So he told me there are two types of kiln. Uh, the black kiln, uh, which operates at a lower temperature. That was the one that we could not see towards the back. That one reaches temperatures to about 1,000 degrees Celsius. It produces black colored pottery that's used more as like cooking tools or for non-food related things um, it's still somewhat permeable mm. the kiln that we were looking at is called the red kiln that one it operates at a very high temperature he says about 1200 degrees celsius um, and i'm told he told me that it gets so hot in there that the volcanic stones melt on the inside so it's very very <sighs> hot yeah and he says he was saying wow. in the video that this one is way harder to manage because of the very high heat but it produces a higher quality pottery, um, and this is the pottery that's typically used for food and for water. Uh, and was he mentioning there, I didn't quite catch it, but mm-hmm. the, the, there's the glaze on pottery from that Oh, one. right. Yeah, so the black kiln from does not kiln. create that glaze. The temperature just doesn't reach um, high enough. It's this kiln, the red kiln, mm. that where you get that um, that significant glaze, the Jeju Ongi glaze he was, wow. he was mentioning. Yeah. Yeah, so that 200 degrees really makes the difference. I don't mm. know, just from a labor's point of view, a thousand degrees seems plenty right. hot enough, but yeah, not yeah. quite for the glaze. Wow, that's really cool inside there, still doing it in that traditional way. And yeah, it gives us a clear picture of all the volcanic rock that is used to make the kiln, which really is unique, isn't it? Right. So, in terms of making ongi, yeah. like we said, it's already labor intensive with the kilns, mm. but you need four specialists to yes. do the whole thing? Yeah, it's not only time-consuming, but it takes an insane amount of labor. Uh, requires four specialists for the entire process. So starting from the kiln, you have the kiln builder, then the ungi potter, who is who I met, um, a person who's called the konekun, and this person is the one who prepares the clay and the wood for firing to for the fuel. Mm-hmm. And then the firing potter, who is the person in charge of firing the kiln, and managing it while the ongi are baking because it takes four days. Wow. Yeah. Do you also need a Harry Potter as well? Mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I've been wanting to say that since the beginning of the show. Just itching to Somehow. do it. <laughs> bad timing, bad execution. <laughs> a firing potter. Wow, that sounds so intense. And it's probably the reason, unfortunately, if we're being cold about this, that 
Yeah, this kind of tradition is dying out. That's a lot of labour, a lot of time and money, I suppose, mm. is needed. Yeah.、Um, but in terms of the process, Mr. Kang actually showed you a bit of it. Yeah. So he、um, showed me the entire process of making maybe a vase or one of those ongi. The process、uh-huh. was actually quite、uh, shorter than expected, but still too long to put up on our show. So I edited it just to make it、okay. a little bit shorter. But that is the third video of the day: is Mr. Kang showing me the process、Ooh. of making the ongi. Wow,、yes. that looks really hard. Like <laughs> smashing really it down hard. into a flat kind of piece. Yeah. Yeah. So he was saying how uh, the uh, the ongi on the mainland they're made by I'm not really sure, but like coils. He was saying they coil it and then they flatten、mm-hmm. the coils.、Yeah. Um, but in Jeju, they just make. A, like a really large、uh, sheet of the clay by smashing it, by smacking、mm. it. And that's the kind of the sound that you heard. But that's not even the beginning、wow. of、uh, part of the process. First, the potter must go out and dig up the clay. Right? They have to go up there and <laughs> shovel it out of the ground,、um, and、wow. yeah, and discard the rocks and separate it from all the debris. They have to prepare it. Then you have、mm. to do what、uh, we saw in the video. The pot must be shaped and then designed. After that, you mentioned、mm. in the video, they are the pots are placed in a windowless room with no light, no ventilation for six to ten months. That is a really long、wow. time. Yeah, and this、uh, allows for the pots to dry out slowly, and it's a crucial part uh, to um, forming that glaze that we were talking about. What? That's crazy. Yeah, the bali bali everything instant culturing career is not going to be on board with that these days. If、mm-hmm. I order a pot and it's going to take、yeah. me like ten months to get it, yeah, that's that's insane. But I guess yeah, all that time has its、uh, fruits because、yes. they look fantastic when they come out. Yeah, and then when they're ready, they're placed in the kiln and baked for four days, right? And then they ha- they have to be、mm. given time to cool down because they're just too hot, right? And the, the kiln is still burning. Um, so it's about a week、wow. for it to cool down, and then they're taken out. But I wanted to talk about the firing process a little bit. I want to read you an excerpt from this book, Mr. Kang's book that he gave to me. And this particular passage that I'm going to read to you is a little bit long, but、um, please、uh-huh. bear with me because I thought it was just really、yeah. beautiful.、Um, and, so, and as I'm reading, we've got some of the images. Yeah, yeah.、Uh, you can take a look at the images as I'm reading. Here we go. When the kiln is lit. 
a war begins. The firing potter, not Harry Potter, the firing potter <laughs> must stay awake for three nights and four days to keep the fire alive. Even the smallest mistake will ruin all the ongi in the kiln. One moment of mistake is like leaving a pile of garbage after a year farming. A typhoon of fire is made inside the stone kiln. The fire begins with the red color, then turns to white, and then reaches its peak as it becomes transparent. At that time, the stone kiln takes a fast breath, and the pottery inside rattles. At least a third of them fail to stand firm and either melt or topple over. The firing potter knows this but cannot stop firing. The ongi must endure the pain of melting its spirit in order to become an ongi for humans. What's Up in Jeju is supported by JDC, which is creating a free international city that resembles nature, embraces the future, and reaches the world. Arirang Radio.